It lies somewhere between the pit of your stomach, your racing heart, and your brain, somehow trying to keep it all together. It's an area we call the adrenaline zone. I'm retired astronaut Dr. Sandra Magnus. And I'm retired Navy fighter pilot Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. We're two adrenaline junkies who love spending time with people who are really passionate about pushing their boundaries as far as possible. Professional bull riding has been called the most dangerous eight seconds in sports. These amazing athletes have to stay on the bull at least that long, with one hand gripping a rope tied between the bull's forelegs and the other hand completely free. And they're usually doing it while recovering from some injury they incurred in a previous event. We were lucky to catch one of the best in the business, Shane Proctor from Grand Coulee, Washington, otherwise known as the Iron Man. Many thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Culligan Water. Culligan's drinking water systems deliver the superior filtration and refreshing hydration you need to fuel your high-performance lifestyle. Learn more at Culligan.com. We caught up with Shane as he was resting and recovering between events. So Shane Proctor, welcome to the Adrenaline Zone. Uh, we've always wanted to have a bull rider on the show, and we're excited to be with you today. Well, thank you for having me. When I last talked to you, you were recovering from, what, four broken ribs and a punctured lung. How are you feeling today? I feel all right today. Um, it's been uh, almost uh, two months now, and um, I actually had six broken ribs. And then, uh, yeah, I had the, the laceration on my lung and had a hole in my lung. And after a five-day hospital stay, I was, I was able to get out and uh, we're, we're getting to feeling better. Um, I kind of didn't follow doctor's orders, uh, ten, cause the end of our season was, uh, 30 days later. And so I started riding bulls again, uh, 10 days after I got out of the hospital, which is not, um, not smart, but, uh, you gotta make a living and gotta kind of push the limits when, uh, the end of your season's coming up. So let's go back to the beginning, though. And you, you started at the sport at an incredibly young age. So can you talk a little bit about how you got interested and what got you started in the first place? Uh, yeah. So my dad, he uh, he was a calf roper. So he did one of the events in, in rodeo and we traveled all through the northwest and up and through Canada. And um, we would go to 75 rodeos a year when I was when I was a little kid growing up and always travel with dad. And um by the time I was five years old, he, he put on roping schools to, to teach uh, kids how to rope and uh, to perfect their craft. And he would always teach the bull riders to, to rope so they would have another event from the local high school that my dad also taught at. And they would put me on the calves. And that's how I actually learned to ride bulls was because they would put me on the young calves. And they thought it was funny at the time. But uh it molded me into the person I am today. And I actually started roping at the amateur level when I was 12 years old and competing uh, with the older ladies. And then uh, by the time I was 15, 16, I started graduating to getting on bigger bulls. So your dad was a roper and you ended up as a bull rider. H how do you feel about that? Both my parents were teachers and my dad was a coach. And so they were, uh, uh, they always said I couldn't ride bulls till I was either 18 or moved out of the house. Well, by the time I was 15, 16, they said, well, I bugged them so many times. They said, well, uh, if you're going to learn to do it, you're going to learn to do it right. So they um, sent me to a couple of bull riding schools, and, and um, that's where I started honing my craft and, and figuring out uh, the ins and outs of bull riding. And uh, by the time I was 18, I was able to buy my permit to become a professional rodeo cowboy. Give us a sense 
for, you know, you get your license, but how does an aspiring bull rider actually come up through the ranks to make it to the professional world where you're actually in rodeos? How do you even train? I wouldn't say I had my parents' permission. I I just annoyed them enough to where they finally (laughs) gave in. And uh, I wore them down. And and like I said, my dad was a coach. So he, he got me through the steps and the processes of working my way up. I was able to go to college on a full ride scholarship for rodeo. Uh, I went to Northwest Wyoming and then Montana State University. And so uh, that was definitely one of we we start rodeoing in high school. And um, I started when I was a sophomore in high school competing against the other high school kids in Washington and then uh, qualified for nationals three times in the in the bull riding and then uh, twice also in the bareback riding and the saddle bronc riding. And, and then um, I went to college and I uh, went to Northwest Wyoming for two years. Uh, in Powell, Wyoming, which is about 20 miles from Cody, Wyoming. And um, I was able to rodeo for them for two years. And I qualified for the college national finals, which is where the college kids, um, that's our ultimate goal for them. So in our sport, you can buy a permit when you're 18 years old. I started competing against adults when I was 15 in the amateur rodeos associations. And I continued to do that till I was about 19. Um, at the same time, I also bought my permit uh, in the PRCA, the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. So we have to win $2,500 to fill our permit. And, and when we fill our permit, then you can buy your card. And that actually gets you to competing uh, at the major rodeos with um, all the major cowboys. And so by the time I was 19, I had my permit filled and I bought my card and um, wanted to test myself uh, against the best uh, cowboys in the world. And so I started traveling and and rodeo is the one sport where you compete at the college level and also at the professional level at the same time. Huh. You know, your story about your parents reminds me a little bit. We interviewed Tim McGraw. And he, he said that uh, he was really worried that his mom was going to be mad at him when he left college to go be a country and Western singer. And when he told her, she said, well, why did it take you so long, you know, to tell me? So <laughs> I imagine your parents were pretty proud of you uh, as you were seeing some success. My parents are are proud of me. They're, they've been uh, my biggest fans throughout this whole process. And uh, I mean, they, they've I've called them at three in the morning when I was stuck at an airport in uh, Canada with some flights delayed and. Uh, being 20 years old, not being able to rent a car and uh, just lots of different things, uh, lots of different adventures that they've got to experience. And then my parents, even to this day, they if I need help driving, my dad, he he flies in or, or comes with me and and will put, you know, helps me drive to the next rodeo. Uh, he's hopped in with me several times in the last two years. I mean, I'm 37 years old and uh, my parents still give me a helping hand when I need it. I was just curious how the sport works. You mentioned going from city to city. So is there a set circuit tour that you, you're you all moving along together or are there different people that show up in different competitions? So in the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, um, they send out a list and it's online. And um, I think there's about 600 rodeos that we can compete at. And so you pick and choose which rodeos you want to enter and you try to enter for a run or a certain day and the way it's set up a lot of times you don't get the day that you request and so because it can only take so many contestants per event and so we go and each each rodeo has different added money so like there'll be the major rodeos like Pendleton Oregon it has like 50 60,000 uh Houston has 100,000 added Calgary has 100,000 added 
Reno, Nevada has 45,000 ad. And so we'll try to put a run together and, and these rodeos can be as little as 500 added, or they can be as much as a hundred thousand added. It all just depends. And um, so we look at the schedule and I'll start marking off usually the smaller rodeos first, which um, I only hit if it's along the route or it's along the run. And um, our, our really busy time is uh, between June, July, August and September. And then like in the winter months, like we usually start off the year in Denver, Colorado, down to Odessa, Texas go up to Rapid City, South Dakota, and um, then down to a run in Florida, which is one of my favorite runs is down in Florida. In the winters, we usually bounce back and forth. We spend a lot of time flying. And then in the summers is when we get going on the driving. So let's talk about um, the rules. We're going to talk to you about what it's actually to, like to ride a bull here in a second. But in terms of the rules, the basics are you got to do eight seconds or it doesn't count. And you got to have one hand not touching anything, right? Uh, uh, but how do you how do you get points otherwise? You have uh, one hand in the rope. You have a leg on each side of the animal, and then uh, one hand in the air up, up above. And um, if you touch the animal or yourself with your free hand, then it's a disqualified ride. Or if you come off and hit the ground before the eight second whistle, it's a disqualified ride. And um, I mean, so it's it really is kind of the rules are kind of simple. Don't touch yourself or the bull, and stay on. But you got to get points, other points. So are there style points or something like that? Yeah, so there's style points. So they, they mark the animal that you're competing on because not all animals are fair. You know, they're, uh, they judge, they're, there'll be two judges and um, each judge judges the animal 1 to 25 uh, for a possible 50. And then they also judge the rider 1 to 25 for a possible 50 where your score could be 100 points. A really good ride is 90 points. Um, 85 to 86 is, is is a really good ride. 80 is just okay, 82. And then uh, they judge on how well in control you are uh, riding riding the bulls. If the bull, the velocity of the bull or the drop and kick and power of the bull uh, gets them points. And then um, how fast they spin, change of direction. And then they judge the rider on how well in control they are and just the style of the rider. And then uh, at the end, if they actually spur the bull, which means they kick loose with their foot, get a new hold and actually showcase to the, the judges that, hey, I can do this while I'm riding. And that that gets you bonus points. So does that mean the judges have to be ex-bull riders so they understand all the subtlety? How do you get to be a judge? These judges are all, they all go through the school. All of them are past rodeo contestants who've been around the sport. Um, they've all, almost all competed in, in all the events in rodeo. So, and that's the deal with the judges in, in professional rodeo is they have to judge all six events. And so they have to be up to date on each and every event on all the different rule changes, all the different styles of riding, um, the calf roping, the tie in, the uh, steer wrestling, team roping, bareback riding, sow bronc riding, and bull riding. And then they also have the women's event, barrel racing, and now they're coming with uh, breakaway roping for the women. And so um, these judges have to be uh, fluent in each and every event, but then they also have to have understand the reason why we do the things for them to be able to, to judge these. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's, it's a lot of pressure on them. And, and uh, in my opinion, they don't get paid enough. <laughs> uh, you're just saying that so that if they hear this, they're giving you a little extra credit, right? <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard field to be in. It's, uh, yeah. it's a field so, where you have a lot of friends and have a lot of enemies. 
you're passionate about pushing yourself always to be better, Culligan's water experts feel the same. That's why their smart reverse osmosis filtration systems do more than deliver the ultra-refreshing, pure-tasting water you deserve. Their app also lets you set drinking water goals, see water quality information, and get filter change alerts. And with cleaner, safer, great-tasting water available right from the tap, you can also feel good about all those single-use plastic bottles you're saving from landfills. Get started today by scheduling your free water test at Culligan.com. If I'm a bull and I've got Shane Proctor on my back, I'm not going to be happy to start with. But how do they get these bulls to go so crazy on you? Are they bred that way or is there something that you're doing to stimulate them? It's just like the racehorse business. It's it's all breeding. It started back in the, the 70s and 80s and they started taking the best uh, genetics in the buck and bull industry and the ho- buck and horse industry. And uh, they started breeding the best bloodlines in the cows and crossing them over with uh, the next up and coming bull. So you're on the back of a bull who's bred to hate you. He, he's not. They're not actually even bred to hate you. They're bred to do their job. Okay. And their job is to buck <laughs> cowboys off. And uh, I mean, bulls have such a cool personality because there's some bulls that, yeah, they're, they don't like you. They don't they don't want to be around you. Their job is to get you on the ground. Uh, their job is to do what nature intends for them to do and hook you around a little bit. And then there's also the ones that as soon as you get off, they just stop, close their eyes and walk back to the chutes. Yeah. I mean, you can, there's some of these bulls, um, three time buck and bull of the year in the PBR bruiser. He He's a big old pet because they've worked with him so much and he enjoys his scratches. He likes getting his, I mean, you can walk right up to him, scratch his ear, scratch his ribs, his butt. He, he likes it. He just, he's just a big pet. And, just don't get on his back. He just knows when his job is. Um, and some of those bulls, you can even be in the pen with them and get on their back. But then once you run them into the chute, then they know it's time It's time to, time to work. It's time to be an athlete. That is cool. Oh, my gosh. That's that's actually really amazing. Yeah, it, it's really neat. For I mean, these bulls, they, they have a competitive side to them. And it's not just it's not just trying to hurt you. I mean, they, they want to compete in and showcase what their talents are too. That's really interesting. And I imagine the perfect bull is somewhere between impossible to ride and, and really boring, you know, for the scoring purposes. And do you get a choice on what bull you ride or, or how does that get matched up? So it's a random draw um, through Procom, which is the PRCA headquarters. And three days before the rodeo starts, three to five days before, depending upon the size of the rodeo, they'll do a random draw. Now they use computers to do it. But um, and then they'll email you what uh, what you drew for each rodeo. And so when we're going to 30 rodeos, we'll have 30 different draws and they all come from um, different stock contractors through the United States that are hired by these rodeos. I mean, and sometimes they'll bring in four or five. Houston brings in, I think, about 10 different stock contractors. And so they're all bringing in their best their best stock to each and every every performance. Do you ever ride the same bull twice because you just randomly run into it or is that really low probability? Yeah. So um, they also have with the, the PRC rodeos, some events have a deal called extreme bulls. And uh, that's just a standalone bull riding that they have at the, at the rodeos, um, usually to either to start the week or in the week. And um, they'll take 45 guys and they'll have have just a regular bull riding. And then they'll start the rodeo where it's the full six to seven events. And um, like in Dodge City, uh, a couple years ago, I drew the same bull at both the Extreme Bulls and at the rodeo. 
and I was I rode him for 87 at, at the Extreme Bulls, and then uh, he stomped, he bucked me off and stomped me down at the next day at the rodeo. Oh wow! So I guess uh, if I'm a baseball pitcher, I'm scouting my uh, hitters I'm going to be up against. If you know in advance which bull you're going to have, are you looking at video uh, to kind of see what their tendencies are? Yeah, you can go and look at videos, uh, especially with social media these days. Um, we have a place where we can go look up their statistics on their writing percentage and who's been on them. Uh, you can call your friends to see who's been on them. Or, I mean, with Instagram, if they've been rode, you just go look at whoever rode them on Instagram and most likely he's posted the ride. So what happens when you get, get on a bull and, you know, just that day, uh, he's not interested in bucking. He just doesn't want anything to do with it. Do you get a, a redo uh, with a different bull or? Yeah, so uh, they have a rule where if the animal uh, that you're competing against doesn't perform up to the best of their ability or to the par of the rest of the animals in the pen, then uh, they have what is called a re-ride. And um, the judges will throw a flag, and if he, he just hasn't performed well, then they'll throw a flag and uh, give you the option to get on another bull, which are there will be three bulls uh, or horses uh, previously drawn before the performance, and um, you'll just get the next one in line. You know, it's so fascinating, all of the subtleties that go along with this sport. It's not obvious as a person watching it that this is all happening and all these levels of nuances are there. It's fascinating. And it's so fun because all these animals uh, are treated to the, as as the best. They, I mean, these are athletes. Some of these athletes cost $100,000 to half a million dollars. Uh, and so they're getting the best grain. They're getting the best feed. They're they're. I mean, they're they're pampered and they work eight seconds a weekend at most. And if they're competing every weekend, which most of them will maybe have 12 trips a year a lot of times. Wow. So what you mentioned earlier that some of them are, you know, pretty hospitable once no one's on their back. Is that pretty common or do they generally still go after you when you fall off? Oh, yeah. It takes a little bit for them to get to that point, but a lot of them, a lot of times, uh, you know, they are docile once, once, as soon as the rider's off his back, uh, they know how the game is played, uh, especially if they've been up and down the road a little bit. And, uh, it, it, it's nice when you have those. And sometimes the actual problem with that is they know when you're coming off, so they quit bucking so they don't throw you as far and then they accidentally step on you. <laughs> Accidentally on purpose, uh, step on your uh, I mean, no, to the, a lot of them, it's just accidental. They don't want to hurt you. They just want to play. Yeah, because I would think, you know, I'd be wor more worried about after I get bucked off what that thing's going to do to me uh, than while I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the bullfighters in the in the arena that also protect help protect you. Um, they, they run interference for the bull and they do it um, in a very strategic way that uh, allows them to stay safe and you to stay safe at the same time. They call them bullfighters, but they're actually kind of bull clowns, right? Or bull distractors or? No, they're, they're just, um, they're athletes. A lot of them are um, ex-football players, ex-track athletes, and um, they learn how to read bulls in the different directions and the lead changes. Uh, so what foot they step with first and uh, they learn how to pick them up so that um, get their attention so we can get out of the arena safely. Um, I had the privilege of going to college as one of the probably the best bullfighter going down the road named Dusty Tuckness. And I've known him since he was 17 years old and, and he started fighting bulls when he was 14 years old. And he just, it was just something he always learned how to read cattle and how, how to get himself and, and the rider safe out of there. Interesting. So take us into the shoot, take our listeners into the shoot. Oh, you're, you're on the back, you're, you're getting your grip. Tell us what's, what you're doing and what's going through your mind before that thing opens up. 
It's really neat, actually. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they go on the tours of events and they run a bullet and they can actually feel the shoots start moving around and shaking and, and they, they actually realize how big and how strong those animals are. And, uh, then we climb over the buck and shoots. And when I drop down in the shoot, I always drop my knees on him first and, and just let him know that I'm coming, you know, cause some, the, the buck and shoot is where if you're going to get hurt, that's one of your most likely areas to, to get hurt at. Because, um, when you have 2000 pounds of muscle in a, uh, still shoot and the only thing that goes between it and the still is your legs, there's a good chance that, um, of getting in there and getting hurt or having them pop up in the front end and, and whack you in the chest or the face. And, and, um, there's just a lot of, um, variables that go into it where there's accidents can happen really easy and so i always put my knees down first and let them just know i'm coming and then i slowly let my my legs down and kind of moving around just let them know i'm in there and let them know uh and then we warm up our ropes which is a we stick a rosin uh pine tar it's a tree sap that is a it's uh gets stickier when heated up and so we run our glove up and down our rope and this heats up the rosin and then we stick our hand in the rope and and as you pull your your rope tight because you want you want the rope to not to be able to shift around on their back I mean, bulls have a, a really loose hided feel to them they uh, their skin moves around quite a bit and so you want to make sure your rope's in the right place so you're able to be your best. So you pull it tight, and um, then you take and run it across, run your tail of your rope across your hand, back around the back side of it in what they call a wrap. And then usually um, I put a twist in it so that it folds around my hand and then tuck it back in through my fingertips. And so after you've heated up this uh, pine tar tree sap, it's really sticky and um, gives you uh, the best... Uh, ability to hang on and a lot of people think that when we're riding bulls we're just hanging on and just gripping tight with our legs and our hands and actually uh the deal is we actually stand up on our legs so we get a lot of bend in our knees uh we drive our knees into them and that way we have contact with our feet our calves our knees our groin muscles and then we actually push off their the bulls back so that there's a uh, there's a little bit of clearance between yourself and the bulls and that just allows you to take the, the when you, you stay to the front end and then when they kick, you set your hips and get your hips back underneath you and kind of and lift on your rope. And then you drive back to the front as they come back up to the front again. And that's um, that's just basic necessities because there's no way that we can just hang on to the bull and just grip. You actually have to move with them and you have to uh, allow them to move underneath you. And so you stand up on your knees and let them actually, as they roll back and forth, you're just letting moving your hips and letting them move underneath you. So there's sort of a rhythm you're getting into with the ball. It, it is a rhythm and, and uh, you can pick up like I was talking earlier about the leads of the bulls. You can pick up uh, which way they step and which way they feel and, and uh, you can actually feel which way they're going to turn by the way their feet are planted. So do you wear any kind of protective gear at all? Yep. So um, mandatory, uh, we all wear a, a vest. And um, it's not a bulletproof vest or anything like that. It's a uh, hard shell. And then there's padding around it. It's about oh, a little less than a half inch thick. And um, these are actually designed for bull riding. So they're designed so when a bull steps down, instead of the impact being in that one small location, it actually spreads it out over a larger area. 
And so um, they started coming out with vests in, oh, I'd say, I think 1987, 88 is when the first vest, uh, Cody Lambert was the first one uh, who's um, he was part of the PBR. He was the first one to ever come out with a, a vest after one of his friends passed away. And then uh, a lot of times we ride, a lot of guys ride with uh, helmets now that are made for bull riding. Um, they have a titanium face mask and um, they have... Um, a shell that's um, just like the vest when the impact hits it spreads it over a larger area allowing us to for me it's a business decision i also promised my mom when i was she wouldn't let me ride bulls uh without a helmet and i just never quit uh, it's it's a business decision for me the less i get hurt the more i can ride the more money i can make because we're gambling with i mean we're we pay an entry fee every time we ride so like at a lot of rodeos, we're we're paying two hundred and twenty one dollars to compete, and then we have a chance at that money. So we're basically gambling on ourselves each and every week. Well, you know, we talk to a lot of people about risk and how they manage risk, and you just gave us a pretty good rundown of of why you do that and how you do that. And you've probably gotten smarter as you've gotten older uh, in terms of how you do that. You know, that has to do with it, it's a business. The more bullies you can get on. You know, that's why I protect myself with a mouthpiece and a face mask and, and helmet. And then also where I enter my rodeos across the United States, Canada, it's uh, where I feel like I have the best chances at winning at. So there's a lot of time, a lot of times um, when I was younger, I always wanted to compete against the best. And so I would always enter the big rodeos and go compete against the, the top 15 riders every weekend, each each weekend, each and every day. And then as I've progressed a little bit, as I've gotten older, I realized I don't have to compete against the top 15 every day. So I can skip off to a smaller rodeo and uh, probably has less uh, competitors in it and have a, a lot better chance of gambling on myself, knowing I'm going to win that and still make a still make money and then still compete against at the still compete against the top ones at the big rodeos but i can pick them around pick and choose and since i've had have a family now and i have a little girl um i try to travel more with my wife and my child more and so um i don't go to as many rodeos as i ha as i have in the past and i just like being with my family you probably are one of those top 15 now water is the ultimate health drink with Culligan's filtration systems, you'll get the superior quality and pure-tasting, ultra-refreshing hydration you can count on to power your performance. Culligan's smart reverse osmosis systems take it to the next level, helping you set hydration goals, track how much you're drinking, and even see what contaminants are reduced in your water. That means you're always getting the exceptional water you need to feel truly good inside and out ready to face the day and whatever challenges it brings. Learn more at Culligan.com. You have had a lot of injuries, uh, like a lot of bull riders. It's just part of the part of the game, right? Uh, so uh, I was thinking a few minutes ago that maybe you, you let your uh, ribs break, so take take your mind off your knees. But give us a little bit of a rundown of, of some of the things you've been through uh, physically. I know what I've been in the last two years, so... Um... <laughs> Goodness. Uh, last July or last June, I broke my leg. Um, I broke my right leg, had a plate and seven screws put in my right leg. And, um, they said it would be three months before I could put weight on it. And I started riding bulls. Um, I had the opportunity to get invited to Calgary, Alberta, which is one of our biggest rodeos of the year. And it's invitation only rodeo. And so they only take 22 guys. And I, so I, 
cut my cast off when I was in Calgary, Alberta, <laughs> um, so that I could ride. I was still, um, I still wasn't uh, putting weight on it yet. I had a um, deal called I Walk, which is um, it looks like a pirate leg, but uh, it was a really handy deal where I didn't put any pressure on my foot and I could walk around. And then when it came time to ride, I strapped my boot on and, and got on bulls. And then as soon as I was done, I was back on crutches. And then, uh, then so that went by. And then in September, I have eight anchors in both shoulders, holding my shoulders in from previously uh, shoulder surgeries. And I had a uh, hit on my elbow at Ellensburg and it popped my shoulder out. And in the process, I had already had uh, two rotator cuffs torn in my left arm. And in the process, the bicep tendon, the long head bicep tendon had slipped underneath the two rotator cuffs over the head of the humerus, which is the ball that goes up in the socket and why it was out. And when it was when it flipped over the head of the humerus, it popped back into socket. So my lap, my long head bicep was stuck actually on the back side of my shoulder over here without tearing. And so it was just as it was like a rubber band that was at full capacity. And so I could only move my arm oh, about six inches to the front and six inches up. And then uh, it would get stuck. And so I finished off the last part of the season with that. And that's your rope arm, right? That's that's the arm you're holding on. Uh, that that's, that was my free arm. That's what I used to balance with. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, okay. And um, when I did that, um, I went down to see a doctor uh, who works on all the professional cowboys, and um, it was something that him or the he had never seen, nor the radiologist had ever seen, and so. Um, his guess was to just go in and cut the long head bicep tendon because the NFR, our national finals rodeos, was uh, 35 days away. So we, I had surgery. He went in, he cleaned up a couple spots uh, in my rotator cuffs, and then he snipped my uh, long head bicep. And um, then we got on the on the back into therapy and started to build my bicep tendon. So I, I had that uh, torn bicep look where it was Popeye down at the bottom. And... Um, I was able to compete 35 days later. And then this year in May, I ended up tearing my right, my right bicep because I had um, at the finals, uh, bull jumped in the chute and my shoulder had uh, slipped a little bit and for some, something was catching. And eventually this year, I ended up tearing my right uh, bicep. And um, so that kept me out for a month. And then after three weeks, it was, it did that same deal. It was Popeye'd out. And, um, after about three weeks, I was able to come back and ride and, and be okay. And then what else did I do? Oh, then I broke my ribs. Then I broke the six ribs, punctured the lung. That's what I've been through in the last two years. Um, goodness gracious. I've had both shoulders redone. I've had my knee, uh, scoped and worked on. Um, I think the NFL players uh, should probably learn something from you, right? I mean, these They're a bunch of wimps compared to this. Yeah. Bull fighters. Yeah, but for me, for some reason, I always ride better when I'm hurt. Huh. Because I just, the adrenaline of what I do gets me going. I, like, I, I love to compete. I love to be uh, competitive in what I do. I love the challenge. I love the adrenaline of competing against something that's not supposed to happen. And so when I get hurt, that just even puts me at more of a disadvantage. And um, I don't know, it just gives, it, it, it actually fires me up because it's, I don't know. I feel like I, it's, I'm doing something that I shouldn't be. And that's what uh, is with the sport is the the whole reason the sport started was somebody said you couldn't do that. And they said, oh, yeah, watch me. 
So I guess if you're going to violate doctor's orders, you better better make something come of it, right? I don't say I violate doctor's orders. I say I have <laughs> uh, an educated guess about my body that um, I'm qual- the only one qualified to know what it's capable of. <laughs> I love it. So is that how you got the name Dr. Proctor? Uh, that just came as a kid. And then um, <laughs> uh-huh. I was at a college rodeo and um, these bulls, this stock contractor who had bulls that, who was actually close to my house on the same reservation I grew up on. He uh, had these bulls at this college rodeo, rodeo and um, this bull leaps out in the chute. And I mean, bucks really, really hard, phenomenally hard. And about six seconds, he brings me down on his head and um, knocked me out. And they said, somebody go get a doctor for Proctor. And that became the bull's name. (laughs) (laughs) He became Dr. Proctor. And then uh, the next year, he was actually reserved Buck and Bull of the Year. So uh, in your case, this is a family business, right? And we were really privileged earlier as we were coming online to meet your lovely wife, Haley. She's really something. Can you tell us a little bit about what she does and how that all works together as a business uh, and as a family? So my wife, she, she travels almost as much as I do. And, um, she's a, um, professional, uh, specialty act. And, uh, so her job is kind of like halftime entertainment, uh, during the rodeo. She's there to entertain the crowd for a short period of time, do her job and then get out so that we can continue with the rodeo. And, uh, her job is, uh, what she's most well known for is Roman riding. And, um, what she does is she has a foot on two horse, one foot on each horse. And uh, she goes faster than anybody uh, around the arena. And then she weaves torches that are lit on fire and then goes over the, then splits the torches uh, between the two horses. And then uh, she loops around and comes. Um, she has a ring of fire that she jumps both horses through while she's standing up on their backs. She's standing on bareback horses, right? There's no saddle or anything like that. Well, she actually has, um, they're called Roman pads, but um, there's, it's just a tree. It's just, it's, and all that's there is to protect the horse's backs um, with foam. And um, that that's it. There's no strap. She's not tied on. She moves around. She turns around backwards and she, she weaves these fire torches. And then uh, at uh, Pendleton, Oregon, her and another Roman rider raced around the track, uh, standing up on, both of them were standing up on two horses and just going as fast as they could. And um, it was just like a horse race going four wide. It was pretty spectacular. Wow, that's amazing. That takes a lot of training. And then she also has um, a Liberty horse, which she lays down. She does a whole act with it. That lays down, uh, sits up, it marches, it rears up, stands on its back legs. And um, then she climbs on a pedestal with it. He's um, She's taught him to do a whole bunch of tricks. And um her last deal is trick riding, which is where you hang off the side of the of the horse as it runs around the arena. And um, there's a strap. There's actually a couple straps. One you stick your foot in, and you just drop. And like your shoulder, her shoulder will be bouncing off the off the arena ground as she's running around. She stands up in the hippodrome straps where she's standing up carrying the American flag with pyro. And um, she actually won a world t- championship in that in oh I think about eight years ago. And so um, they have competitions for that also. But then that's what she's hired to travel. I think she had 80 performances this year, 89 performances this year. 
traveling from she started off the year in uh, Arizona, then she went to Florida, then she went up to Washington State, over to California, to Utah, to Nebraska, back to Utah. And um, that's what she does for a living. So do you all have trouble synchronizing your schedules uh, at all? So the one thing about her is, is each weekend she's at one rodeo per weekend, uh, except for in our busy time of the year, she'll be four performances, say Salinas, California. Then the next day she'll be uh, three performances in Nephi, Utah. So she'll, she'll perform, pack up, drive all night, head there, and then up to South Dakota or over to Montana. And so she'll, she'll put uh, runs together where she's, um, sometimes she has a couple days in between, but the thing with her is she's at a rodeo for three, two to four days, you know, five days, six days. And then she'll, sometimes she has a day off and then she's performing again at another rodeo. Wow. So when I was going real hard, I would always enter the rodeos that she was working. So I could at least be there for a, a day or two and then go back out. You know, you mentioned that she, she won an award earlier, but you have too including the 2008 Toughest Cowboy Competition, which I am completely not surprised, but that netted not only a cash prize, but a 36-acre ranch in Colorado. Yep. And I can't even imagine how you are managing this ranch, assuming you still have it, and traveling the way you are. You guys are super busy. We I actually sold the ranch a couple years ago, and then uh, uh, last week we purchased 189 acres in Oklahoma right across from us to run cows. So I went from a 36-acre ranch to 189-acre ranch. Oh, my uh, goodness. Plus the 20 we already had. So, yeah, my wife, her family is into raising cattle and it's, it's what they they've done. Um, her, my mother-in-law is also a teacher and then Haley's grandpa, my little girl's great grandpa. Uh, he runs about 80 head of mama cows down in Oklahoma. And so we're working our way into to raising more cows and, and uh, producing more of the beef side of the industry. Yeah. And then you'll let you slow down a little bit, huh? It's your kid. As your- Not necessarily. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> No, Don't want to no, slow down. My, no. my wife, she she's a little younger than me, so she she still feels like she's uh, got some more time to rodeo, and uh, I'll be there to support her in in that with whatever she does, and then also at the same time I'll try to run this run these cows while we're back at the house, and it's something. And then we have uh, right now we're eleven head of horses, and because my wife keeps six on the road with her and then there's always new ones in training. And so it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's repetitive. Uh, and then our new season actually starts before our old season ends. And so there's really no downtime. So we're always, wow. we're always on the go. Well, I got news for you. By the time Haley's ready to retire, you're going to have a little girl who's going to be wanting to do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she, <laughs> She's she cute. She's, she's a spitfire. She, she got both uh, her mama and her dad's personality. She's stubborn like uh, her dad and tough like her mama. So it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, it, it, she's going, she's already riding horses. She has her own pony and, um, she's almost, she'll be two at the end of the month and she's already performed in three rodeos. Oh um, my goodness. Riding, riding her pony. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. cool. So let's talk a little bit about the West. Um, you know, the West is kind of enjoying a bit of a resurgence in American culture and our entertainment culture. You know, our friend Tim McGraw, who I mentioned earlier, we interviewed, um, you know, starred in 1883 with Faith Hill. We now have, you know, Yellowstone, you know, Coors Banquet Beers positioned for its 150 year anniversary. 
Are you seeing any impact as you go around the country and you're, you're going to so many rodeos in attendance, overall interest? Uh, is that picking up uh, or is it kind of the way it's always been for you? So the Western lifestyle has always been the way I've, I've been raised. I think uh, with Yellowstone in 1883 is that there's more people interested in it to see what we're, what the original Western way was. And we are the original extreme sport uh, when it comes to, you know, we were here before motocross, dirt bikes, snowmobiling. We've been doing it. We've made our way living doing it for a long time. And, um, you know, there's all, there's always a great fan base in like Cheyenne and Houston and every Utah rodeo you go to is always sold out. There, it's an amazing, uh, state to rodeo out of. And, um, I don't know if those movies or those series have impacted our fan base or if, uh, you know, everybody just wants to be a part of it. They just want to be a part of, uh, I think, kind of history of what uh, the way it used to be. And I think that's the way it should be. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I think we could talk to you for a lot longer because there's so many nuances in this business more than I ever expected. You know, I've had a, a chance to to talk to and hunt with old retired cowboys, but never really got into it, the sort of nuances. And we're not even scratching the surface, I'm sure. But uh, it's really cool to finally be able to catch up with you. And I'm really grateful to you uh, for spending your time with us today. It's been really cool. Yeah, even when even when we're home, we're always running doing something. Uh, we tried to set this up a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was working cows, and uh, that that I'm I was sorry about that, but no, I, we're always no. we're always moving. Well, we didn't want to get in the way of a working man. We're just entertaining. Uh, you were working. We really appreciate the chance to chat with you today, Shane, and and I learned a lot, and I am just super excited to see what you're doing, and that you can. This just goes to show that when whatever passion someone has, you can make a profession out of it and make a life out of it. And oh my gosh, it's just so exciting what you're doing. Well, bull riding has given me everything in this life, you know, whether it's education, whether it's travel, whether it's uh, adventure. Um, it's what I live for. It's what my family lives for. It's, and um, it really has given us everything that we we could ever want. Well, this has energized me to go see another rodeo sometime. I pass through Denver a lot and I'll have to track the schedule there. It starts in January. My wife worked it a couple of years ago. I'm going to totally watch for that. In the meantime, you know, you're probably taking more chances driving around on the highway in some cases, but I don't know. Uh, this may be the more most dangerous person we've had a chance to interview since we've started this podcast, but be safe out there. Uh, and we look forward to tracking your career in the future. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. That was rodeo bull riding champion Shane Proctor. I'm Sandra Magnus. And I'm Sandy Winnefeld. Thanks again to Culligan Water for sponsoring this episode. Your life is about taking risks. Your water shouldn't be. Learn more at Culligan.com. And check us out on social media, including a short video about interview with Shane on TikTok. Our handle is very simple, at The Adrenaline Zone.